Each and every tomorrow is a vision born of this day. We are the shapers of destiny and each choose a way. Our nearest thoughts and feelings are the paintbrush and many colors, whose shades of joy or strife we awaken from where they dream to paint upon the canvas of life. Select your colors wisely. Yes, I listened as spirit spoke. For the picture you see before your eyes is what you painted stroke by stroke. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world. A part of this mission is accomplished through this podcast by sharing stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. We're brought to the same realization time and again that we're more similar than we are different. The stories shared here each week remind us that we're not alone in navigating the waves of life and that our response to what is being served up to us is what makes the difference. How we move through the world contributes to or takes away from the better world we all desire. And today's guest is most certainly a contributor. We are in person for this episode with San Diego running legend, George Greco. And although his legendary status is well known in this area, I imagine by now that the trickle effect of George's presence far exceeds Southern California. George quit cigarettes for running shoes at the age of 45 after his young daughter, asked him to stop smoking for her birthday. He ran his first ultra marathon at the age of 69 and since tying up his laces has raced over 600 races to be exact 640 with close to 400 first place finishes in his age group and was able to run himself just three seconds shy of the all-time record for his age at the well-known State Street Mile in Santa Barbara, California. He has lived a life. He has hit rock bottom. He has woken up, and he now shares his joy for life and running with all who cross his path. I was fortunate to align with this fine sir shortly after moving to San Diego, and one of the first things he said to me was, punch me in the stomach. (laughs) If you know George, you've most likely been asked to do the same, and you found the same thing that I did, a rock-solid core on a 75-year-old body, a vessel that he uses as his own personal laboratory in his endless pursuit to be an experiment of one for his life. So we're just going to leave this intro there and dive in deeply with a man who I confidently say is a friend to all. So George, thanks for welcoming us to your home, and welcome to the Show. My pleasure. <laughs> so, this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. This listenership is so used to us just diving in without warm up. And so, let's go for yeah, it. Yeah, let's go for it. So, my question <laughs> for you uh, to just really dive in is I, because I've had so many wonderful run-ins with you, whether it's at the bottom of the steps down at the beach or in the middle of the plateau in Bryce Canyon in the middle of an ultra marathon, or at a rest area on the border of California. Um, and we always seem to engage in meaningful talk. And so I'd love for you to share with our audience just your life philosophy to just really set the foundation of what's going to come in the next hour of the show. Okay. Uh, I happen to be a poet, and uh, I have a poem that comes to mind to answer part of that. And uh, so here goes. 
It was just one of those days when you wake up on the wrong side of the razor's edge and find yourself channeling a badass Buddha attitude into this world of form with divine assistance from a snickering throng of delinquent devas, not to mention losing three straight wrestling matches with those naughty little thought angels. And you say to yourself, surely it couldn't get much worse. When someone, anyone, says just the right thing to inspire your tantrum yoga practice to spread its wings and ascend to a new all-time high, unable to believe what you've just said or done in the heat of Kundalini's cleansing fires, you do the human thing and escalate in righteous indignation while your life is spiraling every which way but up. Essential self takes one look and decides to go on permanent vacation while your flow goes mofo. Right at this moment, it is a little challenging to stop, but like everything else in life, yours is the gift of choice. Oneness is both the sunshine and the light, the shadows and the strife. When it's all said and done, who's to say what's wrong or right? The paintbrush is your gift of life. The canvas is the gift of choice, and the canvas is your life. Wow. (laughs) First of all, how did you remember all that? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, this is just a little side story. I went to Oxford University for a summer session back in 1987, and four of the ten books that I was committed to read prior to the class were the Four Masks of God by Joseph Campbell. And to circle back around to what you were saying earlier as a part of the introduction, it focuses on the similarities of religions, indigenous stories of creation and such. And so I became fascinated with the indigenous cultures that had storytellers that were able to memorize all of the initiations, all of the guidelines of their cultures and such. And I went, wow, I want to do that. And so I've committed about 40 of the stories I've written to memory. And many of them are about empowering people, their self-image. Once the self-image is strong, I found, then people's internal GPSs naturally take over and begin to guide them in a more positive direction for their lives. And, uh, and little stories about hitting the bottom and being able to pick yourself up by your bootstraps that I can pull out as situations arise where they can be helpful. And so that's one of many that I've committed to memory. It, it's... Um... It's comforting to know. So the memory, right? It's comforting to know. Yeah, so they're stories- my personal mantras to myself. They comfort me as well as people. Yeah, I think in the unknown, we get, that's where all that anxious energy is that like, I don't know what's going to be coming next. Or if you're back to the, the story, I'm a, I'm a, I was putting myself in, on a trail 
uh-huh. and and working through like, oh, do I keep going? Like, this is really painful. My feet hurt. Do I, I'm dehydrated. How much further? They said it was five more miles, right? Like all that, <laughs> that stuff, that commentary. Right. All of the self-talk that can veer away from your original goal. Yeah. Constant, constant. You also mentioned the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you feel that you... Do you ever ride the edge as you do all these races? Do you ever feel like you get to that point of like, hmm, I don't know if I'm at my tipping point or if I should play it safe? And how do you determine that? Uh, I have only, in all the ultras that I've ever done, I've timed out in some, especially when I've been injured and doing them, but I've only stopped one. And that was in the Tushers 70K, which begins at 10,500 feet at the Eagle Point Ski Area, goes up to 12,167 at the top of Mount Delano, and it's definitely considered one of the hardest ultras in the contiguous states. So what I didn't plan on, I had done a marathon there a couple years before, And I got caught in a thunderstorm without any rain gear and just froze my sit-down place off. I mean, I remember when I got to the finish, picked up my medal, got in my car, and it's a windy mountain road about 25 miles to go down into Beaver, Utah, where my hotel was. And I was shaking so fiercely that it was hard to keep steering appropriately going on those windy curves. So for this race, my whole focus was on gear. And at that time, it was earlier on in my ultra running, and my liquid nutrition, my bars, and my mirror energy were all off the charts sweet. So at about mile 24, 25, I stopped drinking. I couldn't stand to put another thing inside my mouth that was sweet. And there were about 10 miles between aid stations. And so by the time I hit the 50K mark, I was loopy. And because it was a lollipop loop, I knew that getting to the finish... This is butt sliding, grabbing onto bushes, terrain that was really hard during the day. During the night, when I was already loopy, I was going, holy shit. And so that's where I just went, live to race another day. But that's the only time where the DNF was caused by me going... You know, I don't think it's too wise to keep on going under these conditions. Now, with that said, there's a finish to the story, and that was a month and a half later, I was due to do my first 50-miler at the Sangre de Cristo 50-mile race, and the race averages 10,000 feet for 50 miles. And so I was hell-bent and determined to find out how to be able to withstand that elevation when I live 50 feet above sea level. (laughs) 
And so anyway, I found out that cordyceps mushrooms and ginkgo biloba were key nutritionals that help with oxygen uptake. And at the Tusher race, about every quarter of a mile, I was having to stop to bring my heart rate down. And your heart beats faster because it's wanting more oxygen. And Sherpas up in the Himalayas pound cordyceps mushrooms. That's how those little guys can carry 150-pound packs. And another thing I was looking for was, is there such a thing as an oxygen supplement? And I happened to find one on a Colorado ski board. And in Colorado, the ski areas begin at 8,000 feet, and you get people coming up from Kansas, from Louisiana, from Texas. And so the advertisement was by a female scientist who lives in Tucson, Arizona. So I immediately phoned her up, talked with her for about an hour and a half. That was two weeks before the Sangre de Cristo race. We figured out a protocol and I slammed these oxygen supplements for the two weeks prior to the race and during the race and was able to finish the race. I was butt-ass tired, but I never had to stop to bring my heart rate down. And so that's one of my go-tos now when I'm going to do elevation. Um, so I know we're going to get more and more into racing and, and, uh, and the challenges and the lessons that you've learned, but... Tell us a little bit about George pre-running. I've always been active. You know, I grew up surfing in San Diego when I was a kid growing up, always out in the street playing football and this and that and whatever. And, uh, you know, I was a child of the 60s, so as a result, I was very experimental like everybody else. And so I performed every chemistry experiment known to man outside of university. (laughs) 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 And ended up hanging around with people like Timothy Leary. Uh, One of my friends actually did a, what would be considered now a podcast with him called Brainstorm, where they explored things uh, such as interspecies communication, uh, the, I think it was called the L7 Society, which was figuring out those gravitational balance zones between Earth and the Moon, where you could stick up little mini orbital uh, planets. So you could stick all the Hell's Angels on one, so everybody would get together, all the Catholics on another one, you know, kind of thing. That was a wild-ass thought back then. And uh, my friend who did those podcasts... His father was the head of AP, which is a news gathering service that feeds into, you know, they get the news and they feed it into all of the periodicals, newspapers, and that kind of thing. So he was taking a film class, you know, where you have those big cameras, big video cameras, right when they were first coming on online and stuff. And we were were pretty fun-loving. So we figured out that we could use his dad's letterhead write introductory letters to rock concerts, to longevity concerts, and thing, or longevity seminars, and things such as that. And so we got in free. Like a press and, pass. Like a press pass. And we would interview, you know, like uh, we did FM Esfandi... 
Esfandieri uh, that was into longevity. But they were into kind of, from my perspective now, a negative form where you start, you know, putting all kinds of machinery into the, you know, marrying the human body with machinery and uh, losing sight of the fact that we're biological creatures and that's what gives us our emotional connection, our connection with the planet and all of life around us. little side story. But anyway, that was, that was quite fun. So Timothy Leary, I'm assuming this was post, uh, after him being let go from Harvard. Yes. Or, yeah, yes, okay. yes, definitely. And uh, I happened to bump into Richard Alpert, who later became Bob Rondas, uh, up in Santa Cruz at a university there. And uh, then my first marriage was with, and the mother of my daughter was at what was called Sparrowhawk, which was a spiritual community, and it was all powerful women. And so that was that was really cool. And also, the third member of, uh, I can't think of his name right off, but there were three Harvard, Harvard scientists, and the third one was on the board of directors of that community, which was built on the... Uh, power center of the Cherokee Nation. So it was purposely built there, just like all of the uh, all of the great cathedrals, all of the, you know, pyramids of Giza, the monuments in Peru, and, you know, they were all built, the native people, indigenous people at those times realized that the earth has energy centers just as we do. Yeah. We're much more mindful of them. Yeah, absolutely. So you've been a bit of a seeker your whole life. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, you're crossing paths with Ram Dass and, and that whole spiritual scene back there where there was a lot of experimentation going on. Uh, and I know I've heard on other podcasts you talk about just, you know, moments of awakening that you've had in your life. Can you share one with us? Like maybe that assisted you in shifting your life? And I know we have so many of them over the course of 50K or 50 mile, and maybe it is a trail race, uh, or perhaps it's something prior in your life. Uh, in 2011 or 12, I entered a two-year uh, program for energetic life coaching, and the reason being is that I was in a relationship with a woman that had serious PTSD. And I had never bumped into that before, and it was so earth-shaking that I absolutely did not know what to do, how to handle this. And so that propelled me into life coaching. And I wrote this poem about that experience. Is it okay if I share that? Share it. I love okay. this. Okay. This is called All Your Brightest Dreams. We all have broken pieces, misplaced dreams, and twisted places where memories from long ago wander through the shadows cast upon our souls. These memories are the ghosts hidden from the light that hold our lives for ransom below the line of sight. Endless are the names of our deepest wounds and fears, critical mothers, nameless faces, and fathers never near. 
dashed upon the rocks, beaten and cast aside, dreaming of a lover to heal this place inside. I feel you on my heart, yes, all your wounds and fears. If I could, I would wipe away the tears. So all your brightest dreams, yes, every single one, could spread their lovely wings and fly you to the sun. Yet fairy tale castles and wishes come true stand in between the choice before you. There is only one phoenix who carries your flame, only one choice your spirit proclaims. So you look in the mirror where your shadows stand tall and walk through the fires, chancing it all, to arise from the ashes gifted with flight as all of your shadows explode into light. <laughs> Speechless. <laughs> so what I I take from that is a bit of, you know, we are we are the creators of of what's coming forth in our life. Absolutely. That's really empowering when we start to see that what shows up is the result of our parents, the government, this or that, because it empowers us. In 1982, I hit rock bottom. And what I mean by that is I showed up in Baxter Springs, Kansas, from the mountains of Southern California to manage a bowling alley because I had to sell everything I got in a Greyhound bus. All of my belongings were in a cardboard box with white string around them. And when I got there, I had a realization, and I wrote a little story about that. And it's similar to one that I've already written, but each and every tomorrow is a vision born of this day. We are the shapers of destiny and each choose a way. Our nearest thoughts and feelings are the paintbrush and many colors, whose shades of joy or strife we awaken from where they dream to paint upon the canvas of life. Select your colors wisely. Yes, I listened as spirit spoke. For the picture you see before your eyes is what you painted stroke by stroke. And so that was the understanding. And I went, holy shit. If I'm the one that fucked up, <laughs> then that means I can do something about it. And so from that point forward, I realized that better choices lead to better outcomes. And my life has gotten better and better and better as I've moved through the seasons of life. It's like, I'm not one of those people that wants to go back when I'm 18 or 20. You know, I've enjoyed all of the seasons as I've moved forward. I've gotten better and better at figuring out really cool ways to enjoy this step of life that I'm currently in. And one of the things that you love so clearly is running. Yes. What is it about running that you love so much? And and maybe, maybe take us back because I know it's such a special moment for you is take us back to that moment with your six-year-old daughter that just shifted everything and brought you into this sport that you love. Okay. So 
I had tried to give up cigarette smoking at least a million times, <laughs> unsuccessfully. But with the power behind my connection with my daughter fueling the choice, I went, okay, this is a habit. This habit has a lot of different pieces. And so I need to replace some of those pieces with something different. So I bought a Nordic track and started working out in the Nordic track for 20 minutes every day. And it's kind of humorous, but I was working at Tyson Foods as a computer engineer at that point in time. And there were a number of uh, English uh, consultants that back then there was a smoking room in the office. (laughs) And and like about six of us smokers would go in there and just, you know, fill the room up. You could barely see the person sitting next to you just with smokestacks of smoke. And I remember coming out of there and cigarette smoke just billowing out of the room. And a couple of them went, wow, you look like a runner. (laughs) Why don't you come and run with us? And I went, you know, that was before my do- I had the transformative moment with my daughter. And I went, yeah, okay, sure. And so I worked religiously on the Nordic track every single day. And then I timed the point at which I was going to give up when my manager wasn't there because he was a bit of a jerk. Bless you, John. Forgive me, but <laughs> the truth is the truth. And I didn't want any emotional because I knew that there was, you know, cigarette smoking is tied to a cup of coffee, cigarette smoke, you know, get emotional, smoke a cigarette. And so I got along great with the rest of the folks. Then I got a binaural tape which bypasses the conscious mind and implants positive affirmations in the subconscious. And every time I get the urge, I put on the, the tape. So I kicked that. Uh, looked up the guys and went, okay, I want to start running. And I remember when I first started, I would run a mile from my house and come back and be so wiped out, I would pass out on the couch. My wife would wake me up for dinner. Then I would put all the dishes away, go back to the couch and pass out again until she would wake me up to go to bed. And so now, you know, people go, hey, you want to do 20? Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, let's go do a 50. Let's go do a 50K. You know, let's go up to Orange County or out in the mountains or something like that. And so it's been amazing. And I say that not only for myself, but for everybody else, the possibility of transformation. One of the things I love about running the most is the fact that it was a key that transformed my life. And in turn, I've seen so many other people's lives transformed by it. And working in the running store for the last seven and a half years, it's just, it's a tool that can be very helpful for getting people on the road to self-awareness, to improving their self-image, to hanging around with a group of people that one of the things about the running community, be it road or trail, is that, or triathletes, is that there's this 
feeling of like being a software engineer, we're always updating, always updating, always improving. And when you start hanging around with runners, it's like none of my running friends do crack or, you know, <laughs> drink to excess or cigarette smokers. You know, there might be an occasional one here or there. And it's always about optimizing their lives in various ways. And so I love that camaraderie and that motivation towards self-improvement, which has been something that has been with me since the days when I was chemically infused and having, you know, internal experiences and going, wow, I could be way over here, but the reality is I'm kind of right here. And so I've made a lot, I'm a lot closer than I was to feeling good about myself, about life, understanding how it works, uh, being able to filter out the negative self-talk, to realize when I'm, oh, I'm not on the sunny side of the street. Hmm, what's out here needing some attention? Who needs to be, you know, brought home and integrated? And so running has been so helpful with, you know, working my way through divorce, through challenging times. I worked for a company <laughs> that was bought out by another company that was bought out by another company, and it was in the natural gas transportation section. And so we had really disparate software that was never intended to talk to each other, and we had to figure out ways to make it talk to each other. And with Google, nobody had ever done it before. Okay, you know. How the F do we do this? And I'd look out the window because I lit, I was on the 12th story of one of the tallest buildings in Colorado Springs, and I could see the Pikes Peak. And I've done the Pikes Peak ascent five times, and I go, I did that fucking mountain. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was harder than hell. We can do this. You know, so it psychologically and, it, and uh, spiritually empowers you to like, Circling back to what you said earlier, to keep on going when the times get challenging, to know that there's a way through. And when you come out the other side, no matter how tough it was, that really empowers you for the next wrestling match with whatever opportunity that you have coming your way. So those are elements about running that I absolutely love. You're almost like you're building trust and faith in your the voice, your inner your inner voice or inner Yes. Inner person who you already are. We've just stacked layers on top of it. But the more and more you repeat these experiences, so you you felt it in running, going up Pikes Peak, and then you can apply it to in this particular instance a job. Yeah. Or a project. And all the other areas of your life too. It's like they're all connected. And when you empower yourself in any little area, it spills over into the rest is my best guess. <laughs> There's a new one right there. <laughs> so how does this, um, yeah, so the story with your daughter. Yeah. So what happened, what happens there? How does this? It's, it's when my, my daughter was actually not supposed to happen. When I married my first wife, we had a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old from her previous marriage. And 
we thought that, you know, we were incapable of having another one. So she came out of nowhere, and I had a dream before my former wife even knew she was with child that this beautiful feminine presence would come into my life. So our connection goes back. You know, there's just a sense of connection. We've never been argumentative. It's, we, I divorced from my first wife when my daughter was 12, and she spent every weekend with me from the time she was 12 till she went away to college. So we spent a lot of time figuring out, okay, what are we going to do with the weekend? Oh, I left everything for my former wife, got a new apartment in Colorado Springs that had 24 by 7, 365 day a year swimming pool. And so it was bare when we started. And I made, I don't know where I got this from, but it was one of the best decisions I'd ever made. And I went, okay, Ashley, we're going to finish this, furnish this whole place. You have a veto. I have a veto. We both have to agree that we want that computer. We want the bedding for your, you know, your room, for my room, the kitchen table, whatever. We both have to be in agreement. If we're not, we move on to the next. And so we furnished the house together. And so it was like her home instead of coming over to dad's pad. And we would figure out what we would do. We'd have to plan out our weekends, what we're going to do. We're going to see a movie, this, that. And then additionally, because we had the pool, she would drag my ass out there when there was four feet of snow on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) And she, when she was 12, she wasn't so skilled with ball sports. And so we got like all these balls and little footballs and stuff. We'd go down the pool every time she'd come over and would practice, you know, tossing, you know, hitting volleyballs and everything until she was, you know, really skilled with that. So, Was that just intuitive to, to form that relationship with your daughter through that, through the picking the furniture and involving that process? Yeah, like, yeah how does totally. That... I have no idea where I, where I came from, mm. but it, in hindsight, you know, a lot of times we end up in good places. It's almost like our essential self is going, psst, psst, psst. <laughs> so, so when do you know to listen to that? That's the good, how do you oh, know versus oh, like, oh, I've, well. It's just- I've gotten better. What I can say in answer to that, I've gotten better as I've moved through time and creating more quiet and more center in my own life and knowing when I'm veering off and, okay, time to take some deep breaths, time to have a quiet moment, time to recenter myself. And so it's been an ongoing process throughout the years of my life. I think endurance sports gives that to us, a really good look at, you know, who we are and where our work is. Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When you're out there freaking dying, you go, God, I've got 10 miles of just brutal to go. It's like in this last Bryce Canyon 50-miler that I did on May 20th of this year. It's like I did that on a a 13-mile-a-week base, about, you know, at least a third of which was just hiking 
and I knew it would be iffy as hell. But <laughs> Such a tough race. <laughs> I was bound and determined to get it done. Now, with that said, I pulled in to the last aid station on mile 44, mm-hmm. and my drop bag with my light was not there. So, uh, luckily, the sweeper had two lights. He turned out to be Michael Versteeg, which was the inaugural winner of the Cocodona 250-miler and was a hell of a nice guy. We hit it off. And, you know, I got a medal for finishing, but I didn't, you know, I got past the last aid station cut off, but I didn't finish, you know, in time. But to me, hey, that was a finish. I know what I was you know, doing this on, and, uh, and we just really got a line. He goes, hey, you know, I'm doing this 50-miler and 100-miler around Prescott, Arizona, where I live, which I like a couple of, couple of free entries. And I went, yeah, that sounds great. And so I got back, and I checked out the website, and they were $200 each. So I got one for my, for my friend Mari, who I met at the 50-miler that we did together at Bryce Canyon. Mm -hmm. And she's an art director. She's about 35 or 36. She's an art director from Finland who just worked her way into being able to work on Hollywood sets. She does the the logistics and the coordination because in some of the Marvel movies and some of the uh, TV, you know, made-for-TV movies, it's like every filming component has a set that you have to create. You have to have all the right furniture. You have to have all of the right people showing up. And so she coordinates that and has been in Budapest, Hungary. We were going to do four different ultras together and she got called back every single time. So finally she's being let go from that project and will be here on August the 1st. And so we're going to do this 50 miler in Prescott, Arizona. So that's the benefit of coming in dead-ass last. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I know you're coming back to running, so, you know, 13-mile base for a 50-mile um, for a 50 mile race is, is not your (laughs) ideal, but you are, you do, you do like carry a low mileage base into these longer races, but you've also incorporated cycling. So tell us a little bit about how you've incorporated cycling into your, into your running. Okay, well, this year I have 48 miles of cycling. (laughs) So not so much. (laughs) Not so much this year. But with that said, I just got my bike tuned. And so that's definitely going to be a part of my regimen because the last two weeks I've got up to 20 miles, 22, 24 miles. And my knee was a little tender after yesterday's run. So I went, okay, now I just need to offload, you know, on the bike for a while and bring everything online. I was a little bit too excited. I went from, like I did the Mount Charleston half marathon on a six-mile-a-week base. I had a 149.08 in moving time. It's pretty legit. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so now I've just got to be a little mindful 
because all the infrastructure's strong from... Just give you a little idea of what I do. I wake up in the morning, I do 125 lifts, then I go to the stairs and I do toe lifts really slow and I feel my body just being energized with light, exhaling everything that is not of that light. And then I come back in here and I do arm rotations forward, backwards. I do a little movement to free my shoulders up that my chiropractor taught me. I do back and forth all the way as far as I can. Then I lean over to my left <laughs> I lean over to my left side and right side. Then I do Shigong exercises, <laughs> you know, on my toes, rock on my heels, then on my feet, sides, back and forth, I do 50 of those. Then I do toes, left side, heels, right side, toes. And I do that clockwise and counterclockwise to super strengthen. Uh, then I do a Shigong exercise to empower lungs and heart. And then a longevity exercise to uh, empower the middle dantian and lower dantian. Uh, I do a neck movement, then some facial yoga, because he, as you can see, for a 75-year-old, I don't have that many, that many wrinkles. And uh, then I hit the bosa ball, and I do circular movements both ways, and then I do 100, well, I do 50 squats, and go over and do the melt method. So it's not just running and kind of biking. It's, it's minimal running and biking and yeah, mostly cross-training. You're bringing a healthy, mobile body to your, yeah, your it, disciplines. Yeah, it's like my main goal is overall health and well-being. And then I add the running component to that to see if what I'm doing is working out. That's my, you know, my final laboratory test. First of all, well-being. Oh, wow, I wake up every morning. I feel pretty good. I feel inspired to do stuff. I do, t you know, two hours of various things. Now, part of that is yoga, uh, a meditation component at the very end. You know, I do, do all of the exercises and then with, uh, like I said, a, a meditation component at the end, the BOSA ball, and it incorporates moving every part of my body, every single way imaginable. When I'm doing my yoga on the floor, I'll take my knees, circle my hips clockwise, counterclockwise. I'll take my feet, I'll take my feet, bring them up, I'll turn my ankles clockwise, counterclockwise, because I have Morton's neuroma on both of my feet and there's kind of a numbness, mm -hmm. then I bring awareness by scrunching my toes 50 times. Mm -hmm. Then the melt method brings aliveness, alertness, and awareness to my feet. And so a part of my practice is bringing awareness to every part of my body temple 
and intention. And as I'm going through the 12 Shigong exercises, which I stumbled on that because a part of my workout routine was cranking up 80s rock and roll. And that was the way that I moved everything. <laughs> Dancing my ass off. <laughs> and then I Shigong kept popping up. And then I found that one Shigong practice. Have you heard of the Shaolin monks? No. They are the most badass martial arts guys on the planet, spiritually driven, that make Navy SEALs nervous. And so the Shigong exercise that I stumbled upon is the foundational practice that they use to strengthen their fascia. A lot of people don't understand the importance of fascia. If you want to remain injury-free, our fascia holds our bones, ligaments, tendons, muscles, everything in place. If we're doing a headstand, the reason our heart doesn't fall into our throat, it's held into place by our fascia. And our fascia is also like an internal internet. And when it's optimized, so this practice optimizes all of your vital organs, super strengthens your fascia, opens up the lines of communication so all of your vital organs can speak to each other and remain in balance and harmony. And I first got into it because I injured my ankle. And as a result of that, I know that there's not a lot of blood flow and energy that goes down there. And I went, wow. So if I can strengthen all of my fascia, hold everything in place, I'll be a lot less subject to, to injury. And then as I dove into it, I went, oh, wow. Not only does that, optimizes the very, and brings intention. Like as I work on lungs, you know, large intestine, there's emotional components that where we store stuff in our lungs, that's grief and sadness, you know, in our large intestines, ooh, stagnation, you know, in our stomach. Mm, you know, some irritability and, and stuff. And so I bring intention as I'm doing all of those exercises, all of the Shigong exercises. And so it has multiple benefit of helping you to release those patterns, emotional patterns that are no longer serving you and replace them with healthier, more vital, life-giving energy and it brings, it's made me so much more mindful of, okay, you know, this is my body temple. I'm pretty aware of everything that's happening. And because I do all of these things, I'm able to catch, oh, there's a little tightness in my hip upstream before it becomes problematical. Yeah, that body awareness is massive. And just through all these movements that you're doing in a day, you'll see where you're hung up, where where you're mobile, where your opportunities are. Abs- absolutely. And plus, to be able to do something like this, you've got to enjoy the process. It can't be like, okay, you know, I got to lift these freaking weights. I've got to, oh man, you know, another. And so what I do is... My bulletproof coffee is the treat at the end that I'm looking forward to, but only after 
I do all of this stuff. And I, even if I'm doing an ultra, you know, and this year I've done eight destination races and I'm working, you know, 30 hours a week. And so a lot of the races are Thursday after work, driving to Ridgecrest, getting there at and organized at 12 midnight, 12.30, waking up at 5 in the morning, driving up to Lake Tahoe, you know, getting up at 4.30 in the morning, doing the race, then leaving at 6.30 that night, driving all the way back home. So now I've got a two-month stretch with no races, and I'm really relishing just because that can be exhausted. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that, that you're working 30 hours a week, uh, because, you know, people may assume like, oh my God, he's doing, you know, a hundred of this and 125 of this and the shigong and the stairs and all that. Like, oh, he, you know, must be nice to just be retired, be retired and not do anything. (laughs) Be retired. And that's not the case. Um, but you're doing what you love. And I love that, uh, you dropped some wisdom there, which has been dropped so many times on this show, which is you have to love the process. So what happens on the days, and maybe I'm assuming you've got these days where you're just like, oh, I got to do the whole regimen. Like, what about the days where maybe you're just feeling like neutral or just not super in love with the process? How do you keep going? You know, it, especially since I started implementing, uh, my longevity protocols, it's very rare that that happens. There's, you know, a couple times when I'm really tired, I'll just come home and go, and go to bed early. But other than that, I wake up, and the first thing I do is take NMN, Nancy Mary Nancy. It's an acronym for one of the most researched longevity substances. And what happens if we want to veer off in that for just a moment. Sure. As we move through time, our body becomes less effective at creating molecules that are oriented towards longevity. When we're young, we can go out, drink all night, whatever, get up, you know, run a half marathon and life is good. Well, because your body becomes less effective at generating those molecules that self-repair DNA, are you familiar with epigenetics mm-hmm. and epigenome? So what that means is that uh, our genes don't predetermine the outcome of our lives. And we have a conductor of the symphony that, depending upon our lifestyle choices, activates the higher expression of our genes or the lower expression. So as we move through time, that conductor becomes less focused on his job if he doesn't have the molecules that empower him. Also, and I'm just going to dive into a few of the known causes of aging. When we're young, our body is able to, every cell that comes on board has a certain amount of divisions. Once it reaches that point, our body recycles. Well, that ability becomes less effective as we move through time. And so we end up with what are called senescent cells, cells that really should have been, are dead, 
and should be recycled, but our body's not recycling them appropriately. So it's almost like having a bad apple in a barrel. They can generate inflammation on the cells around them. And inflammation is the number one cause of the chronic illnesses in our culture. And so there's molecules that help your body to be able to handle that process effectively and get rid of those senescent cells. Then our telomeres, which hold our chromosomes together so they can replicate appropriately, become frayed, if you will. And so NMN, as well as some of the other supplements, and just to backtrack a little bit, 20 years ago, the thought scientifically on aging was, get over it, suck it up, it happens to everyone. Not anymore. They have found out how to slow it down and additionally reverse some elements of it. And I can vouch for that in my own life. I've seen improvements in my skin, my energy. Like I told you before the beginning of this year, I do an ultra and just die for the rest of the month. Okay, it's time to do another one. Now I wake up energized, ready to rock just about every morning with the the energy, the mood, the enthusiasm to do whatever it takes. Mm, Whatever it takes. And just the, the ownership of the truth that your choices, the choices that you're making in every moment and how you're moving forward in every moment is really informing your future. Ab- absolutely. That's why it's so important to be mindful of, oh, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What is my body telling me? Because you can use those all the signals to stay centered on your inner GPS and listening to the best possible information as you move forward. So one of the first conversations that we had, and I I met you, and I don't know if you remember this, but it was years ago, and it wasn't that long after I moved here. In Ranchos Penasquitos? In Ranchos (laughs) Penasquitos. Of course you remember. That's where I punched you in the stomach, right there on the trail. And uh, we started talking about the five Tibetans. Yes. The fountain of youth. Are you still Mm -hmm. doing the five Tibetans? I am. I'm doing a slightly abridged version. And what I mean by that is there's 21 iterations of five different movements. I backed that off to 11 iterations because I was filling up my space with so many different things. I wanted to keep that anchored as a part of my life but yet make room for some of the other things that were coming on board. So tell so, us yes. about the five Tibetans. Like, why, why are they seen as the, the fountain of youth? Okay, I was doing, to keep my core strong, I thought all you need to do was crunches. So I was doing 400 crunches a day. But as a result of that, my lower back was so, <laughs> so unhappy. And so I was just putting it out there to the universe. I need to find something to keep my core strong that's more aligned with overall well-being. And I stumbled on the five Tibetans just 
you know, out in the internet somewhere. I can't even remember exactly where. But when I did, I went, oh, I just knew that this was something that I need to look into. And the five Tibetans that I found were, it was a version that had the Dalai Lama and original Tibetan monks up in the Himalayas showing you how it was done. Now, I take everything and add my own twist. I don't just, oh, I need to do it exactly like that because we're all individual and there's no one-size cookie-cutter approach that fits all. So this is my version of the five Tibetans. So I started doing a lot of research, looking at all the other people who had done it. And uh, it's a several thousand-year-old Tibetan practice. And you need to separate the hype from the what it can really do. And uh, I look at it as a very beneficial, you know, empowering practice that has given me a lot of flexibility. And then also one thing that I noticed is when I first started doing ultras, especially the downhills, my knees would get sore. And then a couple of years into them, I realized, wow, my knees aren't getting sore anymore. What's up with that? And I went, oh my God, I figured out that the third, what are called rites, there's five rites or five asanas, if you will. I figured out that the third one was super strengthening my knees and my quads. And I went, holy shit. So the point being, it's not like I went, okay, I'm going to take all of these different things and really power my way through. A lot of it has been shithouse, intuitional, good fortune. (laughs) 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 And so that... That one exercise, a lot of people go, wow, you're 75 and you're doing ultra marathons? What First thing they ask is, what about your knees? Mm-hmm. My knees are great. This one's a little tender right now because I kind of went out of the chute too fast, but I know all I have to do is back up a little bit and spend more time in the bike and slowly. Because one of the things I tell new runners coming into the store is, you're asking your body to do something that's not fully prepared. You have to strengthen your bones, your ligaments, your connective tissue, your muscles, and everything to be able to handle this new activity that you're not used to. So baby steps are always best. Because Well, working in a running store, I mean, I'm sure you see people come in that say, I, I just need that. I just need more... Uh, foam. I need more uh, drop in my shoe and I need, I need the carbon shoes to relieve some of the pressure to make me faster. How do you, are you able to spin that a little bit and say, well, let's back up. It's really not the shoe. It's the structure of Yeah. What's interesting about where I work is most of our clientele are not runners. Mm. They're people with various types of issues, physical concerns, Uh, nurses, Costco workers, Trader Joe's, waiters, waitresses, professors, people spend a lot of time in their feet, people who come in with fused spines, with surgery, major surgery on their feet. And so we've learned how to help them 
relieve some of those discomforts. And so a lot of our clientele fits more of that mm-hmm. area. You know, I mean, it surprised us. <laughs> yeah. So you can't generalize. You can't say everybody coming to the running shoe stores, you know, running 400s on the track and trying to get no, super No, fat. actually, most are not. And most shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, so someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, well, I, I understand what he's saying. I, I, I kind of get it. Where do, where do they start? Because you do have a two-hour routine. But where does someone start in saying or addressing, I don't necessarily need to chase miles. I, I need to start paying attention to how my body moves and, and what I feel in the morning. So where would someone, where would someone start that practice? Boy, that is a really good question. The most important component is curiosity. Oh, you know, what? That's the one thing that has been really beneficial. I'm never... I remember Timothy Leary wrote a book, and it was about evolution. And his thought was, never do you reach a pleasant plateau where you can just kick back Put your arms underneath your head and just hang out there. It's constantly a moving target, which is what keeps life fresh and fun. And so there's always something else you can do that'll be beneficial, fun, great, awesome. And so having that curiosity, it's like... Through years, I fine-tuned my diet, got my microbiome back online, uh, figured out the nutrition that empowers me. It's like the biggest change I've noticed that as I move through time, I've got some wrinkles here, but the musculature is good. You know, and plus I'm working on the wrinkles I'm always playing with. Oh, I just found out that hyaluronic acid supplements taken internally, much more effective than externally, what it does is it lubricates joints, eyes, and it's mostly in skin. So you start providing your body with what it needs and... Skin, our skin is a major indicator of the health of our of our bodies. And so I'm always, oh, I can improve over here. I can do this. And so that natural curiosity will lead you because everybody's journey is going to be different. And so mine won't necessarily apply to most probably. But there's some, you know, nuggets, and one of them being curiosity. I love that. I think that's a great place to to end this and, and to wrap it up. It's just staying curious, which is a cornerstone of the practice of yoga, which is our primary practice here, that science of the mind and leading to the health of the body as well. But I just want to thank you, George, for sharing uh, all your wisdom and your beautiful poetry and your experience. And I think that this 
information on longevity is huge and will really pique people's interest. So thank you. There will there'll be lots of show notes for this episode, so make sure to check those out. And just thank you so much for your time and always being so willing to share and truly being a friend to all. Thank you. 